Theology Pit here reminding you that you can always get a hold of us at samsonstick.com or on Facebook at The Theology Pit. Go ahead and uh, you know drop us a line or ask a question. I'm taking questions on atheism or maybe questions that atheists ask. So in this podcast, we're going to continue on in our atheist theme. Stay tuned. Hi, this is John Hall. And this is Kathy Emmons. And we're from 101.5 Ward FM. And you've just fallen into the Theology Theology Pit. Pit. All right, everyone. So when we left off last, we were talking about um, atheism. And I, I, you know, I was kind of giving a very broad general definition of what an atheist is and you know here at the theology pit being christians we generally regard atheists and atheism as anyone who is non-christian now i know that that brings up the question of okay so what are the qualifications of a christian what is the sine qua non the without which not you know if you don't believe these things possess these things have these things you are not a christian and that is a uh, subject that you know we'll we'll get into as you know things come about and everything. But we're not here to be heresy hunters. Uh, we are here to just kind of explore um, atheism, and especially through this uh, this blog article. And so I want to do that first before we get into, you know, what is a true church? What are the marks of a true church? Um, what is proper doctrine? You know, the historical things. What must one believe in order to be uh, considered a Christian? You know, historically, what has that meant? Those are all things that will come down the line. But right now I want to hop back into this because uh, when we last left off, uh, the person writing this blog post um, talked about how they were, um, they used to be Catholic, they're no longer Catholic, and and they, you know, understand that, you know, Christians hate Catholics. Uh, unfortunately, I would say that is uh, an accurate portrayal, and I, I'm sorry to say that. I'm, I'm not one of them. I'm, I'm a non-Catholic. I'm not an anti-Catholic. Um but then they go into uh, you know the the challenge for Christians here, and that's where I want to start at. I want to start with the challenge for Christians, and they say uh, I have a challenge for all Christians who read the Bible regularly. And parentheses, I have never read beyond the Old Testament. Something I'll get to in a second. Um, are you ready for the challenge? Here goes. Okay, it says find a verse or two if you want in the Bible you do not agree with and or support. Draw a line through it. As soon as uh, draw a line through it, as though you wish it were removed from the Bible permanently. So that's the first thing they, she, she wants you to do. Uh, no real criteria except an emotional response to it. If you don't understand it, especially in the Old Testament, if you don't understand the culture, if you don't understand uh, what's going on at that time, if you don't understand that community, if it's something that your culture would not do. For example, if you're a Christian and you're a vegetarian and you don't like that they eat meat, you're going to go through and you're going to cross out every single verse where somebody is eating meat. All right. That's ridiculous. Okay. You don't base your preconceived notions and your subjective truth to then say, I am the arbiter of all truth. And what I say and what I believe that is what determines reality. Okay. That is, a, I mean, a, a huge step. You really do think a lot of yourself, or you probably haven't thought through this argument at all, but 
let's just give this the benefit of the doubt, okay? And say, all right, let's do your thought experiment here. All right, so what she starts with then, she says, after that, you remove it from the Bible permanently. Women, is it something you read about how you're supposed to be subservient to your man? And she goes into Colossians 18. How he should be allowed to beat you if you misbehave or beat your children. Now, and then she says, you know, Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. So let's take a look at these, you know, woman hating, spouse abusing, uh, abusing uh, passages here. And so I'm going to read them out of the New English Translation, out of the Net Bible. And first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to Colossians 3.18. But hey, there's a thing called proof texting where some people will actually take a verse out of context or part of a sentence out of context, you know. For example, if you saw something that said, um, you know, uh, th- this person murdered the f- this family, uh, therefore they should be put in jail until they die. Okay, and then you just take it out of context. They see that person thinks that you should just put people in jail until they die. It's like, well, that's not the context of it. It's no, because they did this, not that. Okay, so we understand what taking things out of context means. All right, so let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. And if you have your Bibles, you know, feel free to turn to it and, and read along. Uh, translations are roughly the same here. I'll just read just that verse, and then we'll talk about what's around that verse supporting it. So, Colossians uh, 3, chapter 18, says, um, a thing going, okay, says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Hmm, submit to your husbands. Uh, where does it say for the husbands to beat you? Wh- where, where is that found? Okay, that you're supposed to be subservient to the man. It's not subservient. It's it's submitting, and in that culture, that was proper. And I know it's you know New Testament, and we and we look at that. So in your culture, what does it mean for a husband and a wife to have their proper roles? Okay, what what do you do within your your relationship? Now, I mean, do women have a problem being subservient to a man? Do they have a problem submitting to a man's authority? Maybe in modern feminism, is if Paul's writing that to women, you know, that want to overrule men and take over, would it be possible that he's writing that for a particular reason because of a what's called a complementarian uh, viewpoint rather than an egalitarian viewpoint? Okay, so you would say, all right, well, that I, I don't like the sound of that. Okay, still in our modern culture, that still sounds kind of bad, saying, in a way, yeah, I mean, it's a far stretch, women are less than men. Now what it's saying. So, let's just look at that in context here, okay? And, and especially, we want to find the part about how he should be allowed to beat you if you misbehave. I, I want to find that one there in Colossians 3. So, Colossians 3, 18, wives submit to your husbands. So, let's read just one more verse. We're not even going to jump around the Bible. We're not even going to jump around this, this book or this chapter, rather this letter to the, uh, the Colossians that Paul wrote. Let's just look at the very next verse about how husbands are to beat their wives, allegedly. It says in verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Wait, 
I'm sorry, did I read that right? Because according to her, this is all about hating women and beating up your wives. But okay, well, maybe, you know what? Maybe I went too far. Maybe it was after Paul was talking about how we should, you know, beat up our wives and, and hate women that then we should do this. So, okay, so let's just read the, um, you know, what we would consider the paragraph beforehand. All right. Um, so let's go back to verse 12. It's where, you know, part of this pericope is, this unit of thought. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wow, that really sounds like we're gearing up to, to you know, just treat each other terribly and beat each other up. Continues on in verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. Mm, I could definitely see where Paul's going with this to, to beat your wife. Yeah, absolutely. Verse 14, and to all these virtues, add love, which is the perfect bond. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ be in control of your heart, for if you were in fact called as one body to this peace, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18, Husbands submit, their wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children so they will not become disheartened. Hmm. Gee, when you read it around con the context around it, I can sure understand how this says, subjugate your wives, belittle them, in a way, treat them like they're beneath you and beat them when they misbehave. Hey, that is certainly not an atheist reading into something. That is what's called eisegesis, where you're reading into a passage what you want it to say, rather than exegesis, where you are drawing out of the passage what it is saying, what it is talking about. Honestly, this is neither. This is flat misrepresentation. This is, I am trusting that people will not go and check the verses out that I'm saying, okay? I'm saying that these verses here are telling you that a woman is worth less than a man and should be serving him, and there should be no mutual love between them, and if she misbehaves, he gets to beat her. I don't understand how you... I mean, it is such a far stretch. I just read you verse by verse, six verses before and three verses after, four verses after. Nothing in it. It was, it was actually the exact opposite of the sentiment that she was trying to make, okay? So this is why when, uh, you know, I look at what atheists write and what they say, I, I, I get kind of frustrated and I'm like, you don't even, you don't even know what you're talking about to reject anything. You say that you were a Christian... Uh, how? What, what do you mean by Christian? You say you worship God. How? You say you read the Bible. Are you sure? I mean, granted, she said that, you know, I never read the New Testament. 
apparently, but I guess she did some word search on on an atheist site or you know search on the, how you know, how how to beat your wife according to the Bible or something like that, something ridiculous. And then I don't even know if she read these. Or if she just read that one, wives submit to your husband said, oh, subservient. I'm less than a man. And it's like, no, it's talking about how we are to love each other, how we are to treat each other with a heart of mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing on one another, forgiving one another. And then of all of these things, add love. And that's the perfect bond. If you're a woman, don't try to rule over your husband. Okay, he's not going to like that. It's going to cause problems. Be loving. You don't need to rule over him. Okay, there's no reason for it. All right, do everything. Mercy, gentleness, humility, patience, kindness, all in love. And husbands, love your wives and don't be embittered against them. Which means if they are coming up and they're saying something to you where it feels like they're ruling over you, perhaps they're not. Perhaps they're trying to correct you in love. The same thing with your children. Children, hey, obey your your parents and everything. It's pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, you're more likely to do this. Don't provoke your children so that they become disheartened. Okay, I mean, as you're reading through this, I don't understand how you can even look at that verse and take it that far out of context that it is a misogynistic wife beating uh, verse okay no idea all right how about this beating your children yeah don't beat your children okay now coming off that when she says being subservient to man how he should be allowed to beat you if you misbehave beat your children question mark a different you know sentence or a sentence fragment here but she's connecting those two things that if a child misbehaves you are to beat them just like you beat your wife when she does and she says proverbs 23 verses 13 and 14 in parentheses because it's in there you know uh you're the one who said you read the old testament and you're like the old testament scholar here i'm assuming if you're presenting yourself this way because it's in there so let's just go to proverbs 23 and let's just see how it says when your children misbehave you're to beat them in the same way that you beat your wife okay so proverbs uh chapter 23 verses 13 and 14 let's read them here 13 do not withhold discipline from a child what so wait i'm not supposed to just randomly beat my children but i'm supposed to discipline them it says, even if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will deliver him from death. Okay? If you're training a child in the way that they should go. Now, understand this, please. Literature means something. This is not apocalyptic language. Okay? This is not prophetic language. This is in Proverbs. A proverb is just that. A proverb. It is a general statement of truth. The general statement is you discipline your children. Have you ever known anybody whose parents did not discipline them? You know, growing up, I knew somebody who their, their parents almost refused to discipline them at all. And they were just out of control. 
cussing their parents out, fighting with them. Like there was no discipline in the house. There was no real control in the house. If you discipline your child, they learn. All right. Do you let your kids dump boiling hot water on them or do you tell them not to? You know, when you stop them, you are teaching them discipline, discipling, you're teaching them. Okay. Some children, you know, if they need cracked across the butt, they need cracked across the butt. All right. That has been, you know, something that has happened throughout all of history. And that's what they're saying. Even if you strike them, it doesn't say repeatedly beat them, beat the crap out of them, whatever they're trying to say here. You know, it says he won't die. Smack them on the butt. Get their attention, you know? But if you do, it's saying if you if you do smack them on the butt, if you do, you know, smack them with the rod there, you know, you might teach them and deliver them from death. Now, this was written at a time period, um, you know, of the Old Testament where... If you did not give very strict instructions, it could lead to death. All right. I mean, we had in in Western culture, we had somewhat of an equivalent through fairy tales. And if you go back and you read fairy tales, um, they always ended the same way. The person didn't listen and they died. Okay. The boy who cried wolf, he kept crying wolf until, you know, there, nobody believed him, and then a real wolf came, and he cried wolf, and no one came to help him, and the wolf ate him. He died. Like, every single one of those fairy tales are grim stories you would tell children, don't behave this way because you could die. And a lot of people would say, well, that's psychological torment. You can't be doing that. And you're saying psychologically be... And it's like, no, 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 no. Listen, a proverb is a proverb, Train up a child in the way it should go. When it is old, it will not depart from it. That's a general statement. Okay? That's what it is. This does not say beat your children for misbehaving in the same way that you beat your wife for misbehaving. You can't even make that connection. Okay? Now, this one is a little bit ridiculous as well, as well as the other ones were. Men, are you a Christian with a tattoo? Huh. You might want to read Leviticus 19.28 then because that's what the Bible recommends. No marking of the skin, no tattoos. And you can almost hear like the snideness of it, okay? And it's like, first off, you don't understand the Levitical law as a whole. You don't even understand it in part if you're saying stuff like that. If you were an Israelite... Leviticus is the law that you lived under. Christians are not Israelites in this time period. We do not. Okay, we eat shellfish. We eat cheeseburgers. There are reasons for that. All of this stuff was to point to, with, with, with the food, that God does not mix good and evil. He does not mix light and dark. Okay, God is a God that is pure. And he is holy and just, and he requires his people to be pure and holy and just. And there are reasons behind, you know, the the eating of shellfish. Uh, One of them is that there, in in creation, there are three spheres. There is the sphere of the air, the land, and the sea. And you can generally eat anything that adheres to one of those spheres, but things that cross over between them, like a lobster, which lives in the sea but crawls on the ground of the sea, is seen as a hybrid thing, and it's a mixing of two worlds. God is saying to you, 
Israelites, this is to be considered unclean. Not that it is. But to you, you are because God is trying to convey a message here. All right. So, Leviticus 19.28. Let's just take a look at that, even under the assumption that this is for us, okay? Because it's, you know, quote-unquote, God's word, as they say, that is not, as Paul said, written down for our understanding, that for us, it is descriptive. For them, it was prescriptive at that time. Let's ignore that understanding. And let's just go right to Leviticus 19.28 and see what it says about this never getting a tattoo. You are not allowed to do it. It says, Leviticus 19 verse 28, you must not slash your body for a dead person. Wait, what? Wait, so this doesn't have anything to do with, you know, ordaining yourself, like marking your skin up with an ordination. All right, this has to do slashing your body for a dead person or incise a tattoo on yourself, meaning for a dead person. What other cultures were doing at this time is that they were worshiping these other gods and this is what they would do on behalf as a sacrifice, you know, to worship of these other gods to help their friends out that had died. This is something that you would do. So, if you're worshiping another god and you're slashing your body for it and putting tattoos on them for a, a, a dead person, okay, um, God is saying, you're not to do that. I am the Lord. Don't do that. You follow Yahweh. Yahweh does not require that. I am the only God. I do not require that. Don't do that, okay? Now, it also goes on to say in verse 29, do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. Okay, well, I guess, I mean, maybe she has a problem with that too. Maybe she's saying, well, what's the Bible saying then? Like, I can't make my daughter a prostitute? Who's God that he can tell me what to do? I mean, really? You know, are, are you going to go that far and say, you know what? You are not allowed. It is, a, it is against it to give yourself a tattoo or to make your daughter a prostitute, okay? And then it goes on to say, so that the land does not practice prostitution and become full of lewdness. All right, this is about the way the people of God are to behave at this time because God is conveying a message to them. This is Leviticus. This is the Jewish law. This is the understanding that they are getting from Yahweh, not through books, because a lot of times when atheists think about faith, they think about faith as just a a, a cognitive uh, reality, that it is just a series of belief, that there's nothing to it, where faith in the Old Testament, and really through the Bible, is not... Um, a, a workless faith, okay? Faith always has works, as James says. You know, show me your, your uh, faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Because in Hebrew, there is no concept of an actionless faith. Okay, faith is never a noun. It's never used as a noun. It's always a verb. So, there is always an action. So, the, the proof of the way that you believe is the way that you behave, okay? And God is saying, if you believe me, you will behave this way, and then you will know me, that there are certain things that I'm asking you not to do. And number one is don't ask, act like the other pagans whose false gods require them to mutilate themselves on behalf of 
friends and family members uh, whenever they die. Don't mark yourself up for that because, and by thinking that if you do that, you are appeasing this God or you are doing something in that realm, okay? Nothing to do with people that want to go out and get a tattoo. I, I mean, you know, most generally people today get tattoos because they like to get a tattoo. There are memorial tattoos out there, but the people are getting it to, you know, show a tribute to their family or to their friend, not because they're doing it to appease another God or because they are worshiping another God, which was the practice at this time. In the same way they would, you know, cut themselves and stuff like the, uh, the, the priests of Baal, you know, they would scream and yell and cut themselves to, to show their, their seriousness so that that, you know, false God would, um, would listen to them and, you know, and do them. So then after all of that proof texting that really wasn't, anything it was you know completely the opposite of what she's saying she's obviously she's quote unquote lying or let's be nicer and just say misrepresenting the bible she obviously doesn't understand at all now she says have you found the words or sentences that you don't agree with good now ask yourself this these questions here if the bible has imperfect wording how can it be the word of God who is, according to you, perfect? Perfect people don't write imperfect worlds, uh, imperfect words. So what what she's doing is saying that um, the Bible she thinks was actually written by God, not through people. But that God himself, her understanding of God, I guess is a corporeal being with penmanship that looks like 40 different authors over a 1500 year period on three different continents and three different languages um, in, in many different styles and many different personalities, that that, 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 that God just wrote down this book and dropped it down like uh, Joseph Smith claims with the golden tablets in uh, upper state New York and uh, for Mormonism. Okay, which is not what anybody believes. Number one, okay, um, imperfect wording. What is imperfect wording? Okay, and how can it be perfect to you? You know, it, uh, and, uh, so now you're getting this understanding with the scripture between what's called ipsissima verba and ipsissima vox. Ipsissima verba is the understanding that every single letter in the Bible is inspired by God. Epsissima Vox is the very voice of God. The meaning of it is what is inspired. Now, she's also pushing up against, you know, uh, well, perfect people don't write imperfect words, and this has to be perfect, okay? So then, uh, in order for you to hold to that, you have to then hold to something called the doctrine of preservation, which is a 17th century doctrine that says God would have preserved the word completely perfect from then until now. Okay, and a lot of Christians would say that we uh, hold that the Bible is, um, you know, infallible and inerrant in the original autographs, the original manuscripts. Okay, not in what we have today. That is, that's the assumption. Now, whether you believe that or not is is a different story. But the point of it is, is that the very words themselves were not the thing that was preserved 
very early on. That's why you have a lot of Bibles written in different languages within the first couple hundred years, okay? Because it was the voice of God, it was the meaning, it was the word that was coming from it in that that sense of what did it mean and how does that apply to me? That is the essence of it, the voice of God, which is why you couldn't just take things out of context like she did and say this is the Word of God, because honestly, what she has produced is not the Word of God, even though she has you know, taken them out of context and thrown them at me. And I, I've said before on... Um, on, on uh, the radio that um, in, in the Pittsburgh area that I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the Bible rightly interpreted and rightly understood is the Word of God. Um, and you can't just take uh, scripture verses out of context and throw them at me. That's why, you know, you can't sit there and say, hey, uh, we should all be able to smoke marijuana because it said that, you know, St. Paul was stoned many times. No, that's not what that means. You are obviously taking out of context and dumping your own meaning into it. And she fails to see the logic in this. Hey, uh, check us out on Facebook, Theology Pit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Theology Pit. Do us a favor and check out our website at samsonstick.com. Tell us what you like or what you don't like and consider making a donation. Just send a buck to show your appreciation. It's more than just money. To us, it's an encouragement. samsonstick.com. 